Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. I'm going to start off this morning with a question for all of you. How big is your view of Jesus? How big is it? You know, in the New Testament, when Jesus is speaking to the disciples or the apostles, he says, who do people say that I am? He was really saying, how, what is your view of me? How big is your view of me? Right? Am I just a prophet? Am I just a teacher? And if you remember, Peter answered, says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I think that's a pretty big view. Today, as we dive into the text of Hebrews and as we start our series here, Hebrews really is um, this picture of, of Jesus in, in such a way that, that he is, as your handout says, nothing greater. And that's really what the author is, is, God is trying to do through the author here is to present Jesus as the supreme preeminent being God in the flesh, all of these things. And, and as we go through the next several weeks and months, you're going to see how the author continues to, to compare him to the Old Testament and says he is greater. He is greater. He fulfilled that. He is greater than that. He is greater than the prophets. He is greater than the priests. He is greater than the sacrificial system. And so today, your big idea for you is that Jesus is greater than all things. So we're going to kind of these first three verses, as John said, and you're right, you will not be out on time. Um, the first three verses here, we're just going to cover. And, and it really is a picture of all of Hebrews. It really kind of steps back and says, this is really what's going to happen in the book here. This is, this is what we're going to totally reveal, what the author is going to totally reveal. That Jesus is greater than all things. Than all things. Now, if you missed some of the video, if you weren't paying close enough attention, we're going to remind you frequently. So a little bit about the book of Hebrews. As he said, we don't know who the author was. Many people think it could have been Paul. There's lots of um, grammatical things in the way he writes here that means it doesn't look like it's Paul. We're not sure. Paul usually always has a salutation and says, this is Paul. He talks about who the author is. That's not here. Some people think it was Apollos. He knew Paul. He, he was very knowledgeable in the Old Testament. Um, some people think it was Barnabas. Barnabas was the, from the tribe of Levite, and so he was very familiar with the Old Testament. But we just don't know. Now, I will say, I, I believe in some respects that obviously God did that on purpose. And I think that part of the thing about this is this is all about Christ. It's not about Paul. It's not about the author. And I think in some respects that when we peel all that away, God is saying, no, this is about my son. I, I don't, you don't need to, it doesn't matter who wrote it. I wrote it. And I'm telling you who he is. And he is superior to all things. And you need to know that. And so I think that's one of the reasons possibly why God doesn't have us know who it is. The same thing about who it's to. We know that the audience is, is probably um, Jewish Christians because it's the, actually the, the title to the letter in, letter in ancient manuscripts is to the Hebrews. Okay, so it's, it was to Jews, but obviously to a Christian community. And so they were probably Jews that had become Christian probably probably, maybe towards Rome or the Hellenistic Jews because of, of some other things here in the text. Um, but that's kind of who it's to. But I would argue that it's to all of us. 
right? That's the whole point, I think, here in the text again. It's not, really, it's not written to a specific person or people in the text, per se, and so it really now is available to all of us. So the author is unknown. We have some ideas of the audience, but we're not really sure. But it definitely says that Jesus is greater than all things. And so we're just going to kind of go through these three verses. We're going to pick a few things, and then we're going to talk about why we think that the Scripture is saying here that Jesus is greater than all things. And so let's just go ahead and jump in here in chapter 1, verse 1 of Hebrews. This is long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So he starts out, and I'm going to read a couple other scriptures here from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I want you to tell me uh, what they have in common. I want to read that scripture again. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now kind of put that one in your memory bank. Now listen to these next two passages and, and see what is similar in these passages. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. Okay. First John, or excuse me, John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was with God. Three passages, the very beginning of Scripture, the beginning of the Gospel of John, and the beginning of Hebrews. What is the common thing there? You could probably say a few things, but the common thing that I want you to see this morning is that all three of those passages assume God's existence. They never explain who God is. They just say, He is. God is not explaining who He is, where He came from. He's always existed. All three of those passages are just wanting you to know that, hey, I don't need to explain anything to you. I was reading a book this week on the church, and, and, and I won't get this quote right by the author, but basically he says, you know, uh, we, God, God doesn't owe us anything. We owe him. We are, he is not on trial. We are on trial. We are not God. He is. And I think the authors here are just saying this is who God is, Right? He was in the beginning. He was the Word. He was Jesus. We see that in John. He was in the beginning. He created all things. And here it says, long ago, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. The author is affirming here the significance of the Old Testament. Now, many of us as Christians, and, and we, have been, uh, we, we haven't really dove much in the Old Testament here, and that's one of the reasons we picked Hebrew, because we probably will dip into the Old Testament here a little bit. Many of us as Christians sometimes don't spend much time in the Old Testament. And we have to be careful there because the reason we value who Christ is, the reason we, we see who he is and we are so appreciative of what he's done for us is because we see what God has been doing for thousands of years. How he's prepared the way. The whole Old Testament is about Christ. It's about his whole picture of coming to redeem us, to forgive us. And we want to make sure that we're rooted there. We appreciate the Savior when we realize the just wrath. When we realize that Jesus has been represented in all of those pieces of the Old Testament. That he was there at creation, as it says in John here, right? The word was created. He created all things. But I want you to also see something else in this first verse here. It said, God spoke. God spoke. I want you to just think about that for a second. The God of all creation 
spoke to us and is still speaking to us in his word. In the beginning, he speaks to Adam and Eve. He has this intimate relationship because of sin. That, that relationship gets broken. That, that communication changes. But even then, even after man has sinned against God and rejected him, God graciously and mercifully continues to speak. And he begins to, to speak through a burning bush. He speaks through a donkey. He speaks in all sorts of ways. He speaks through Moses. And then we see after Israel kind of gets started, there are prophets, and he's speaking through prophets. Thus saith the Lord, is what a prophet would say. And he would speak. And that was for the people. Can you imagine if God didn't speak to us? I mean, we take for granted this word. What if this, we didn't have this? What if there was no Scripture? What if God had not spoken to anyone? He doesn't owe us anything. He's the creator of all things. He doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't have to speak to us. He doesn't have to communicate with us. He doesn't have to love us even. He chooses to do those things. Some for his glory, obviously. And so God speaks. And so when, I want to remind everybody, when you... I think about this a lot. When we pick up the text and we, we read Hebrews, and maybe you'll be reading Hebrews this week, remember that this, this letter, this document, or however you want to put it, this document was written 2,000 years ago. And it has been read over and over. Think about how many people throughout all of history have read this document and how it exalts who Christ is. And yet we, we just pick it up and throw it around and leave it on our table and just, you know, we just, we lose a reverence for what it is. God is speaking. The creator of all the universe is speaking to us. I want that just to be heavy on you this morning. Now, a little technically how he speaks. Um, and I just want to give you a little picture. There's, there's two primary ways we kind of see in Scripture in big high-level ways that, that he, he speaks to us. One is called general, we would call general revelation, right? So what would general revelation be? Um, when you go outside at night and you look up in the sky and you see the stars, that's general revelation. When I, I got up this morning and I was outside and the sun was up, but the moon was just right there and really large. I don't think it was a full moon, but it was, it was beautiful, right? That is general revelation. Like, I'm looking at the world and saying, oh my goodness, right? When, when we looked at the video, is, is Genesis history, and, and as those animals were going to be viewed there and portrayed across the screens, I'm looking at that and say, ain't no other way, <laughs> right? Not happening by molecules to man. Not random chance over thousands of years, primordial soup. Not that. He is speaking even in his creation, right? Where do we see some, some pictures, maybe in Scripture, where we could see this is general revelation? We look at the psalmist in Psalm 119. We could go lots of places in the Psalms for what general revelation looks like. But Psalm 19, verse 1 and 2. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. As I said, I went out this morning, and that's what it was. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. He is speaking. The challenge is, for most of us, is we're not listening. 
We are so busy. The enemy has gotten so good about keeping us occupied, looking at our screens. Now we're going to go into the metaverse, and we're all going to have goggles. And you, we laugh. But I'm telling you, that's, that's the plan. That's, that's where we're going. Our culture is going. We're, we're not going to live in the presence the same way of the Lord. We're not going to... We're just, we're seeing that. I'm, I'm, how many times, how many of you know, and if you're one of these, I'm praying for you. How many of you guys or ladies know a 30-year-old man that spends most of his days in the basement playing video games? Right? We're, we're, our kids are in front of screens. They're not out in nature. They're not seeing the creation. They're not living in the creation. They're not experiencing all the wildlife. We're not, they're not doing all of those things because the general revelation is there, but we're saying no. The enemy's been real good at saying, no, don't go out there and see that. <laughs> don't go see that. Another one, obviously, you're probably very familiar with, the general revelation found in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. It says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that we are without excuse. The general revelation is enough to make us without excuse, to know that God exists. Now, it doesn't share the gospel with us, but it, know, it lets us know that God exists. The general revelation knows, we know that God exists. So what is the next way that he communicates? And that would be specific revelation. What would specific revelation look like? Well, that would be scripture itself. God is actually speaking literally to us in his word, through his son, through his word, through the prophets. And that's what the text says. It says, in the latter days, he spoke to the prophets, but now in these days, he speaks to us by his word. I'm just going to give you one scripture that kind of really says this. I mean, all of scripture is, is specific revelation, right? Because we know we're sinful because that the Bible says so. We know that God created all things because God says. In the beginning, God created all things. That's specific revelation. He's, there's, no, there's no question about that. He tells us that we all are dead in our sin, Paul says in Ephesians. We know that. That's clear. We know that anyone who comes to Christ can be saved if they surrender their life. And then John says in 14.6, what? Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is specific revelation, right? It's very specific. So as we kind of look through John, it's really what we saw in the gospel is that Jesus is saying, look, you guys are without excuse. There's been general revelation to let you know that I'm, I exist and that you should search for me and, and wonder who I am, and now I've given you specific revelation, words, my speaking, my, my whole life has been painted before you and who you are and, and specific about what we need and how we can get saved and what's going to happen if we don't save. In fact, even all the way back in the Genesis, what does God tell them? If you eat of that tree, you will die. That's specific revelation. That's not, well, you know, we'll see what happens. No, you will die if you do that. God's very specific, very specific. And so when it says here, long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. In many ways, we could go back and look at the Old Testament. We could see all the prophets and all the ways that he spoke and, and prophecy and visions and dreams and all of it is there, right? Daniel and Isaiah and Ezekiel. And we just go on and on and on. Many ways and many times. 
Look, let's verse, look at verse 2. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he anointed the heir of all things, through whom he has created the world. Now this term, in the last days, there's some debate about exactly what that means. Um, some would argue the last days, like in other words, since Christ is here, the last days are from here until he comes back. I don't think that that's in the context of what this is saying. It could be the last days. I mean, obviously in these last days, he's speaking through Christ. And we are in the last days ever since Christ came until the end of the age, until the the glorification, until the resurrection or the second coming of Christ. We are in the last days. It's possible that that's what it means. And we don't get hung up on this, but it's also possible that what the author is saying, in these last days, in other words, like it's this, this letter was probably wrote about 70, just before 68, 69 AD, right before the temple and Jerusalem was destroyed. And the reason we kind of know that is the letter talks a lot about the sacrificial system and it never references that the temple has been destroyed. And so it, it would, we, we definitely think it would, if all of Jerusalem had been torn down and the temple had been destroyed, the author would have made note of that in some way. And it's not there. So we believe it was prior to the temple being destroyed. And, and so this, this whole idea that, that he's, in these last days, maybe the author is saying, you know, in, in the past, he spoke to our fathers this way, but in the last days, in the last 30, 40 years, he's spoken to us through his son. Now, we could extrapolate that for us today. In the last days, that's how we, but God is speaking to us in all sorts of ways. He's speaking through the prophets. He's also speaking through his son, right? And when we read the text, we read the Old Testament, we read the New Testament, it's all one picture of who he is. But then it says, he has spoken to us by his son. I mean, once again, think about the weight of that, that that not only did God speak to us and how, how privileged we are that he became a man and walked among us to speak to us. Because for thousands of years, he didn't do that. And obviously he does that because he's going to ultimately need to die for our sins. And, but, but the personal touch, the, the loving God to be able to, to see him, and we're going to see here in a minute how he's the exact nature of God, the perfect imprint of him, right? But that God becomes a man and walks among us. And then it goes on there and it says, whom he appointed the heir of all things. And I want to can tell you about that verse there a little bit. It's not like, okay, at some point, Jesus earned that right. You've got to be careful how you read that. It's really what it says is from the very beginning of time and, and, and from really all eternity, Christ has been the heir of all things. It's not like he did something and because he did something, he got something. No, he is preeminent over all things. He is it. He is the heir of all things. He appointed him in eternity to be heir of all things. I was thinking, I don't know that this verse is on the screen, but um, I was thinking there when Jesus gets baptized um, in the Jordan, and then he, he goes and he, he spends 40 days in the wilderness. And, and what happens in the wilderness? The, the Satan comes and he tempts him and tempts him with multiple things. But in, here in Matthew, uh, he says this, Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. He says, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. 
Can you think about what Jesus must have been thinking at that point? <laughs> it's already mine. I mean, <laughs> what do I need to worship you for, you know? It's already mine. In fact, I created it. <laughs> Who are you? you just really kind of wonder about the, the educational level of Satan at that moment, right? Just the denial, I think, that he's in. No way out and just hoping for anything that, that something will stick here, that Jesus will do something to give up his throne. Our view of Jesus is so important. And, and many of us have this view of him as, as this, obviously this shepherd boy and, and, or this carpenter, and, then, and he's this you know, meek man who comes and loves people, and he does those things. And, but boy, you know, we, we get into Revelations, which we're not going to do today. I know some of you are studying Revelation right now, and we see the lion of Judah. We see the, 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 the only one that is able to open the scroll, the only one worthy the king of all kings, the Lord of lords. And I just want to tell you that most of us spend time in the New Testament, and a lot of us don't study Revelation. I think that's sad because we really need to see the king of glory there, the, the, the one that's going to come back and rule and reign. He has power over all things. And, and, it, and one of the things it does for us is it reminds us that we can rest in him, that we, we're not worried about what's going on in the world. Yes, we have challenges and troubles and, and all the things that we see in the TV, but we rest because we know that he rules and he, all things are under his feet. And so I want to just go through quickly a few things that we see that the reason that Jesus is greater than all things. Here's the first one. Jesus is greater than all things because all things are his. Right? I mean, that's just the whole picture of here when he was tempted in the wilderness. All things are his. He's greater than them because he owns them. I mean, are you greater than your home? Absolutely, because it's yours. Are you, are you greater than, than your car? Absolutely, because it's yours. You own it. And so when we see here in the text, God, the author is just saying, Jesus is greater than all things because everything is his. He's the heir of all things. It's all for him. It's all for him in his glory. Then he goes on there in the verse 2, and it says, through whom also he created the world. So not only does he own it all, but he's also involved in the creation of it. This word here, created the, the word world in the, is sometimes translated in Scripture as um, the cosmos, meaning the created world, the physical world, the universe. The word here is not translated that way. It's, it's really the word we get like eons. Um, this idea that it's, it's not just material things. It's, it's and this is, a, this is a hard, maybe to get your mind around. He's created time itself. He's created the ages He's created all of that. I mean, we perceive time, and, and it's not just that he created the world. He created existence. He created all of it. We, we, we live in a time, and he's created all of that. He's created the past and the future. It's all his. He's created not just material things, but the ages. And, and that is, once again, where is your view of who Jesus is? <laughs> Right? Is he just the, the man who died on the cross? And I don't say just, but I mean, that's an incredible thing. But he's so much more than the Savior. I mean, for all of us, obviously, that's the piece we, we love because we know that that's what we need. But he's so much more. We see, obviously, here in First John, or excuse me, John chapter 1, verse 3, what does it say? We covered this a little over a year ago. It says, all things were made through him, and without him there was not anything made that was made. So John's just saying, look, 
I'm covering every angle here. Everything is made through him. There's been nothing made that has been made. It's all been made by him, right? He's the creator of all things, right? He has preeminence over all things. Obviously, Paul then goes on in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. He says it this way. It says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Once again, it's not just the things that are visible. It's not just the tangible things. It's, it's the dominion of things. It's the kingdoms. It's all his. It's time. It's the ages. He has created all things. So what do we see here? Through him whom also he had created all things. Let's go on. It says he is in verse 3. Well, let me, let me back up just a second. So what's, what's the next point there? Not only, not only has he created, all things are his, but because Jesus is greater than all things because he helped create all things. That's your second point there. Because he's created all things. When we think about who Christ is and when we, when we spend our time in prayer, that's why I tell people all the time, I, I want to be overwhelmed by him. And I really want you to, I think if, you, if your view of him is greater, you will be overwhelmed by him. And if you're overwhelmed by him, you will worship him. We talked about last week, worship precedes, right? We first worship. And when we're overwhelmed by God, we worship. And then we're obedient because we understand that all things are his. It's just this picture, and if we're not there, the problem is, is that in our flesh, we will drift because we don't understand and we don't have a right view of him. And so that brings us to verse 3. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We see here in this first piece of the text, it says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Boy, that's really hard to even to explain. One way maybe to look at it and it's not going to do justice to who God is, we see the sun where we think we see the sun. What we're really seeing is the rays from the sun. We don't actually see the sun, if you think about that. We see the rays. When it says he is the radiance of God's glory, when we look upon Christ in the Scripture, not just physically, but we look at him in the Scripture, he is the rays of the Father. He's the radiance of his glory that is emanating away from the Father. Yes, he's part of the Godhead. He is God. But he is this, this image bearer that God gives us so that we can better see who God is. But if you remember, um, when Moses is in, in getting the, the, the law and he's before God and God says, or Moses says, can I see your glory? He says, no, you cannot see my glory. You cannot see me. In my, you can't see my face. And so he hides Moses and he says, when I pass by, I'll let you see my backside right? And what God is doing here is he's showing us 
his glory in the form of his son. And in that, he is the exact imprint of his nature. And so it not only is his glory and all the wonders, but what really God is saying is, 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 if you want to know who I am in my nature, my love, and all of who I am, look at my son. It's the exact imprint of my nature. And it will tell you who I am. But now I will tell you that this glory that is upon Jesus has been there since time began and for all eternity. And Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, verse 5, and it says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with your glory that I had with you before the world existed. So in some respects, Jesus kind of steps away from some of that glory as he takes on flesh because he has to confine himself to the flesh. But yet there was a glory that he had before that that now Jesus is saying, I'm ready to have that back, to, to give me that again that I had with you before the world existed. And so what do we see here? Is that Jesus is greater than all things because he is God. And I added in the flesh. That doesn't really need to be there. But he's greater than all things because he is God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of God. He is God. And yes, because we... In our finite minds, we, we can't quite understand the Trinity sometimes. We can't understand God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But yet, they are all God, and they are all of the same divine nature. They are expressed three different ways. But it is God. And so he's greater because he is God in the flesh. John chapter 1, verse 14, one of my favorite scriptures it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen what? His glory. Glory as the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. Notice that the glory, the radiance of him is there. John is saying we've seen him in all the glory, all his splendor, all his majesty. But also we have seen the, the grace and truth, the exact imprint of the father. He's gracious and he's truth, right? He's just all of that picture is represented there in Christ. And the text goes on in verse 3 there of Hebrews, and it says, He upholds the universe by the word of his power. I, I've always loved how we, we think about the word and, and how important it is. And, you know, the whole um, words just matter. I mean, think about that God has given us language. Think about that. What if language wouldn't have been developed? What if, what if we wouldn't have learned to speak? How would we communicate? Right? Gave, God gave us the ability as creatures to speak to one another. Even um, we can learn other people's languages. You know, think about it. I don't, we don't know how animals communicate, but I'm not sure a horse is going to communicate with a dog. Don't, they're never going to learn how to do that. But, but we are from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and every tongue speaks differently, but we can learn how to speak and communicate with someone else. And so God gives us this ability to be able to, to speak, and words are so powerful. I tell people all the time, think about this. God spoke the world into existence. God said, let there be light. We confess unto salvation. We, to, to come to know Christ, to, to surrender our life, we confess it. 
How do we know and how do we near the gospel unless someone tells us? So the gospel is coming to us in specific revelation through the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. So this, this idea that he is this power in the word, and here in the text, when, when it says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power, think about how, how significant, how powerful God's word is. Christ, the word. He not only creates, he not only gives us life, but he upholds the universe. We see in Jesus' life, he uses the word to do what? To cast out demons. He shows his power over nature by saying, be still, and nature listens to him. He drives out um, sickness and blindness and deafness, and he heals lame people by speaking He says to Lazarus, Lazarus, arise, and he comes to life. The power in Jesus' words. And here we see that not only, and those are amazing enough, but here what the author is saying is so much more grand and majestic. He says, no, his word actually sustains all that there is. And he's constantly sustaining it. Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 Paul says, and he is before all things, and in all things hold together. And in him, all things hold together. All things are being held together at this very moment because Christ holds them that way. You know, I, I'm not a scientific person, but think about gravity and, and a black hole and the, the, the density, and it can crush all things and and how we are so in need of our atmosphere and the oxygen and, and how um, oxygen plants are making oxygen and, and, and how every, every molecule, every piece of DNA in our body, every cell is working and producing and just in one human body, all of those things and God through Christ is holding all that together. He's holding it, you know, he's keeping it on the road, let's put it that way, right? Because of, because of the fall, there's destruction and decay, and God says, Jesus is going to hold all that until the day I tell him to let go. He's holding all things together. Huh. R.C. Sproul, talking about God's sovereignty, um, makes the comment, he says, God is, I've said this before, God is only sovereign if he means that every atom in the universe is under Christ's control. Everyone. Nothing is doing anything except God allowing it through Christ. And so what do we see here? Jesus is greater than all things because he alone sustains all things. So not only all things are his and that he helped create all things and that he's God in the flesh, but now we see that he is alone sustaining all things. And then the last piece of verse 3 in Hebrews there, it says, making purifications for our sins. He's making purifications for our sins. Now this is the piece we can really relate to. This is the piece that really speaks to us because we understand what we need. We, we need to be cleansed because of sin, because of, of, of rebellion against God. We now are 
under the wrath of God and we need to be cleansed. And, and so here this word, purification, really, if you want to look at the exact word, you can see it in Luke chapter 5, verse 14. Here he's talking to someone that was unclean and he healed them and I think it was a leopard. And he says, he charged him to tell no one but to go and show yourself to the priest and to make an offering for your cleansing. Jesus healed the guy. He's made him clean. He's purified him. Obviously, at that time, leprosy was uh, uh, unclean. You were cast out of, of, of the culture, out of the, out of the city, and you were left to, to live among other leopards in leopard colonies. And what God is doing here, and Jesus is saying, look, I have the ability to make you clean. Now here he's physically demonstrating that, but it is a foreshadowing. What God is really saying is my son has the ability to clean you spiritually, eternally, forever, to make you right standing with the Father. And so where do we see that again? We see that now, not only is it a physical cleansing, but we look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. And think about now the power of the word again. And John says, if we confess our sins, there's this word that we... It's important. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He can stop right there, but he doesn't. He says, and to what? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's this idea now that not only is he healing people physically, he has demonstrated that, that he has the power over all of that because he sustains all things and all things are his, but now he's saying, I have the ability to, to cleanse you spiritually, to take away your sin. And so how does he do that in there were several places I could have went to, to show this, but now if we look at Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, he says, but God showed his love for us that while we were yet sinners, so we were still in sin, Christ died for us. Therefore, what's the, what's the benefit to that? Therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So he shows it a physical healing, it foreshadows his ability to heal when we ask forgiveness and when we're in Christ and what Christ does, and then specifically what Christ does for us. And so what's the next one? What's the next thing here? We, Jesus is greater than all things because he alone can cleanse us from sin. I was going to say from all things, but, and that's true, but all things, he cleanses us from sin. And I, I, just, I don't know where all of you are at today. I mean, I, I, we've been dealing with, um, in counseling, there's nothing that surprises me when people share what's going on in their life. And so, if it's pornography, if it's adultery, if it's theft, if it's lying, if it's... Um, homosexuality, is it, it, it doesn't matter. Um, it, it, and so I don't, I know that that exists in all of us at some level, that we struggle with sin. And, and I just want to remind you that when you have a big view of who Christ is, and we get to this place that he says he can purify us from all unrighteousness, that means no matter what you've done, no matter what you've participated in, no matter what you've thought, no matter what actions you have done, no matter how you've hurt people, no matter how you've lied or, or, or the, wherever you've been, wherever you've taken your body, whatever you've decided and thought about who God is even, he is able to pure us from all of that. Because if you have a view of who God is 
and who Christ is, all things are underneath him. He has the ability to forgive all things if we will just confess. He's killed his son to make that possible. So in John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus is here on the cross because in Rome, or excuse me, in Hebrews chapter 3, or chapter 1, verse 3, it says, the last verse says, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And in John chapter 19, verse 30, what does Jesus say? And Jesus had, had received sour wine. He said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The work had been done. Jesus had come, did exactly what the Father wanted him to do. He had made atonement for those who would come to know him, and now he's done, and we're going to see what? He ascends in Mark chapter 16, verse 19. It says, so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven, and what did he do? He sat at the right hand of God. It was over. He's back in the position of the glory that he had before he became a man. And so I want to leave you with a question this morning. Once again, how big is your view of Jesus? How do you view him? I want to ask you another question. Do you need to adjust your view of Jesus? I just really want you to consider that. Where do you place him? Once again, it goes back to the disciples when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist. Some would probably say you're a great teacher. Think about in the world today. Many people would say Jesus is a good teacher, but he's not the son of man. or not the son of God. Many would say he was a Jew. He was a carpenter. Who do you say that he is? I love the personal thrust of what Jesus is saying because at the end of the day, every one of us is going to answer that question before the Father. Who did you say my son was? What did you do with him? Did you believe? Did you follow? Did you obey? Did you say, oh, he was a good teacher? What did you do with him? I gave you specific revelation and told you who he was. How did you answer that? How did you respond to that? So I'm just asking you, do you need to adjust your view this morning? How you meditate on him, how you read scripture, how you are in awe when you, when you come to the text. When you come in this place and you worship with one another. When you close your eyes and when you're singing songs, what is your view of who he is? See, because I think some of us come and, and we just, yeah, the band's doing great. My, I work really hard at my view and when I close my eyes because you guys are nothing but a distraction to me. And I don't want my view to be you. I don't want my view to be the band. I want my view to be Christ. I want to stand in the radiance of his glory. I want to praise him and worship him. And I know some of you are more subdued and you don't want to raise your hands, and that's fine. You don't have to do that. If you want to do that, that's great. I saw some people raising their hands. I raised my hand some. 
I know it's all funky because we wonder what people are thinking about us and we're doing it for the right reasons and all that stuff. But just let the Spirit lead you a little bit. Stand before the glory of God. When you come into this place, I believe that God does reveal himself uniquely in the body of Christ when we gather. I think there's scripture that absolutely supports that. He's in our midst where two or three are gathered together. And I think there's about 170 of us today. So what's the takeaway from our thoughts today in this message? If Jesus is greater than all things, if Jesus is greater than all things, then you and I should surrender all things. Because see, he already owns it all. He's atoned for it all. We might as well just surrender it all. Because at the end of the day, it's all his. At the end of the day, we're his. The question is, are we going to submit ourselves to him so that we can spend eternity with him? Because, see, some of us don't want to submit all things. And, and so what does that look like? Maybe this morning you're, you're not a Christ follower. You've, you've come and you've, you've, you've kind of thought that Jesus is a great teacher and, and that's who he is. And, and today, maybe in the text, and God has revealed to you, that no, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the sustainer of all things. He does have the power to cleanse you of all of your sin. And now you want to surrender to that. I think that's just a really simple thing. You come before the Lord you, and you say, Lord, I, I'm a sinner. I see that I am the creation and you're the creator. I am, I am so in need of your cleansing. I need to be forgiven and I am going to surrender my life to you. And I know that it's because of what Jesus did on the cross that I can be forgiven. And I put my trust in that and that alone. But I will tell you, even as Christians, longtime believers, we continue to need to surrender all things. Because the enemy is so good about getting us to pick up things and not want to put them down. To begin to worship those things. We call them idols. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We pick them up and they become the thing that dominates our life. It's whether it's, once again, whether it's social media, whether it's the, the material things we have in our life, whether it's the, the, the fame in our life, maybe it's our job, maybe it's our money. It's all of those things. And I'm just telling you, we need to surrender those things. That, I'm not even saying that you need to give them away. I'm saying that they need to be his. You're a steward of all things that are his. If he owns all things, anything you have is only you're, because you're a steward of it. Because he owns it. And so what are you doing with it? In fact, you can look at the, the parable when Jesus talks about he gives them talents. And he goes away and he comes back. What did you do with what I gave you? Well, someday the master is coming back and he's going to say, what did you do with what I put you in charge of? I put you in charge of the gospel. I gave you the gospel. I spoke in general revelation and specific revelation to you. I gave you the great commission to go and to tell this wonderful thing. What did you do with it? Oh, yeah, I put it in a box and I buried it, and I'm really not sure I believe that. Okay. Then that's your view. And there's consequences for that view. Leave you with this last text. I read this a few weeks ago, but I think it was fitting here. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 46. This is Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search for fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. Is that your view of Jesus? Is your view of Jesus that he's that valuable? 
that you would sell all that you had to buy the pearl. That you would sell all that you had to buy the field. Because that is the view that you have. I would encourage you to really meditate on your view of who Christ is. Because he is greater than all things. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for our time together today. Lord, I pray that when we come to texts like this, Lord, first and foremost, that you will open up our hearts and our minds to see the, the glory of who you are. Father, I struggle to even stand here and begin to explain your glory, your, your radiance, your, your nature. How can I, a fallible man, be able to paint a picture of the glory that you have? And so, Lord, I pray that you're doing that and revealing that in some way in our hearts that, that goes way beyond my spoken words. Father, we thank you. And Lord, I just pray that today as, as we've come as the body of Christ, we've come to encourage one another, we've come to, to see your glory, to hear from you and your word, Father, that we will walk away today with a, a bigger picture, a greater image of who Christ is because he truly is greater than all things. And for those that have come today with heavy weights of sin and burden, that, that you will help them understand if they will lay their sin down, if they will confess it and come clean before you and surrender, Father, that you are able to purify them from all things. You've died for all of it. You put the offer there. You've been clear about it. You've been clear about the consequences of it. And you've made it possible for them to be forgiven. And Father, that we will come and we will be overwhelmed and we will worship and we will yield to you. Father, today, help us to see your glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.